0: I wasn't looking to teach anyone. I wasn't looking for another job. I had a full-time job. I had these kids. I I had a lot on my plate. I was looking to help widows. So with that, I went home, and I uh, started thinking about how, where can I go? And my church didn't have anything, so I went to the church, and they took me, and they sent me for training. So I trained for a year, and then I started um, with four elderly women, um, the group. And then from there, it just started to grow by word of mouth. Hello,
1: and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives, in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right into today's episode. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. Today I will be chatting with Catherine Monaco and Catherine is a widow and she's created something really special out of her whole process uh, to be able to support other widows as well. So I'm excited to find out all her journey with you all, the listeners, because this is the first time she and I are chatting. So welcome, Catherine.
0: Thank you, Kendra, for this opportunity. I appreciate it.
1: I'm so grateful that we're here, that you're here, and I was. We were just talking before we started to record that we are both with really bad allergies. We both took Claritin. We already have (laughs) something in common there, aside from grief. We both had to take Claritin. (laughs) We should. I should. I should uh, tag. Claritin on this podcast and, and give them props for our performance today.
0: <laughs> <Claritin> <laughs>
1: that would be good. Claritin. We, we made it through without sneezing through a podcast. So welcome. Thank you for taking the time this morning to chat with me. Thank you. So tell me a little bit then about yourself. Um tell me about your husband, your kids. Um, this is the you know, the way back when, and then how you became a widow, and then we'll kind of go from
0: there. From there? Okay. So um, I became a widow at 42 years old. I was married 19 and a half years um, to my husband, Larry. He was my knight in shining armor. Um, I came out of um, a divorced family where my father uh, abandoned us when I was eight years old. Um, I reunited with him when I was 21, but the damage was still there. And when Larry came into my life, he was just everything to me. He taught me how to be the best me. He taught me what family was about. He was an amazing father. We had three kids. Um, and at 44 years old, he developed a blood clot in his armpit. And we went to a uh, specialist and they did a sonogram, and the next day um, they sent us home, and the next day he passed away. Um, my 11-year-old daughter um, told me that she was trying to wake him up, but she couldn't. And from that point, my whole life did a spin around. Um, and I I know that I had a very strong uh, codependency on my husband because partly because of my childhood and just, he was just every, like he took over everything. I was a housewife. I didn't have to work. He just made my life easy, maybe too easy. Cause when I lost him, it was so difficult to then find my way. Cause you
1: had to basically learn. Oh, give me a second. Is there a little bit of echo? Are you using a headset by chance? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know. I thought I heard my echo, my own voice, but okay. Um, so you basically had to then learn how to not only adjust to being without him but also adjusting of doing everything and learning to do the things that he used to be the one in charge of
0: doing absolutely i like i didn't pay the bills in the house i didn't know what the bills were i didn't know where the things in the house were like to shut the water the gas I didn't know what to do with the cars. I never did the inspections. I didn't even know tires had to be rotated until I got a flat. Um, he just took over everything. All I did was raise my kids and, you know, keep a clean house. <laughs> and I was a real housewife, but my kids were a full-time job. But still, I wish I would have been a little bit more in tune to what he did, which— wow. I had to learn from scratch, so I didn't even have a computer. I didn't have an email address because what would I need that as a housewife? And this so, was what year? What year was this? That this was in it? the year 2000, um, where we didn't have social media, so my resources were limited. I um, I didn't have you know um, social media or an internet to look up what to do with grief. I didn't have any of that had to figure a lot of things out on my own. Wow. Now
1: how, how old were your children when your husband passed, when Larry passed?
0: Yeah, they were 11. My daughter was 11. My son Anthony was 14 and my oldest Michael was 18.
1: And they were all still home. So Michael. Yes. He, he was Michael still
0: home. just, yeah, he just started college. He had graduated high school. Um, he tried to do a year of college and he ended up dropping out. He could concentrate, Um, I tried to get him therapy. He was rejecting it again. I didn't know what other resources for him. Um, it it just, there wasn't anything. It was really difficult. So for me, my sister put me in a bereavement group in a local Y and they didn't take me until three months after my loss. That's the restrictions here in our area.
1: And where, where is it? What area do you live in?
0: I live in Long Island, New York. York. So
1: at that time, at that time, the restrictions were to wait about three months, like before you could even start this bereavement group. So here you are three months without, it's basically like you're in a boat without a paddle, right? Absolutely. That's kind of how you felt without paddles and not knowing Mm -hmm. how to navigate this new journey, not only of grief, but of how do I take care of a household? by myself. All it those was kind of
0: uh, things. it was overwhelming. It was now, totally overwhelming.
1: Now, what did you do then those three months? Then if you didn't have the bereavement group yet, uh, what other tools did you use and how did you even start then job searching? And those, I don't know, like where, I can't even imagine like, you know, like how it would be
0: how, to yeah. start out
1: of a sudden when you haven't <laughs> worked in you know whatever 20 years or, yeah you know?
0: 18 I was a respiratory technician I couldn't mm-hmm. go back to that because I'd have to be reschooled uh you know because my daughter I had to get her on the bus I couldn't go back to school like so I had to have a job so um God blessed me with the gift to be able to paint and I started painting murals in kids rooms and faux finishes and that was how I supported myself and my kids. I took a van that we had. I pulled the seats out, put ladders in there and crates and just started hustling my painting business.
1: I, I love this because Catherine, it, it just shows how, one, how resilient we are two how resourceful we can be. If it really comes down to it, like we really can be very resourceful as human beings. Like we find the means to do things.
0: I I think so. I think it's like a, a survival, you know, what choice did I have and tools, you know, the only thing that I did and I still share this, you know, with people is that I would take a nap
1: <laughs> yes. like when it
0: really got really painful because, you know, we don't sleep good in the beginning. We're tossing and turning and thinking and overwhelmed. And so we don't sleep good. And then we're trying to function during the day and it, everything's so overwhelming. When it got too much to bear, I would just take a nap uh-huh. and then I would start again. When I would wake up, that was my biggest tool.
1: It's like a reset button. It was like a reset, like the nap could help you like as a reset button. Yeah. Like it's like, okay. I even use that in the middle of my day, even if it's 15 minutes sometimes, like when I need to ground myself being an empath and stuff like, and I'm sure you too, cause we'll go into that too. Cause now you help other people when you're surrounded with so many different types of energy too, you, kind of need to center yourself. That's like, I call that my meditation. My meditation is a 15 minute nap. Sometimes that's my meditation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my well, meditation. It's
0: relaxing and it takes that's you out nice. of where you are for the moment. And when you, when you wake up all of a sudden you feel like, okay, I could handle this now. Mm-hmm. You know, let me just do what I have to do. It's the thoughts. They take over your, they take over your mind.
1: Yeah, and especially when you don't know like how to navigate them or what to do with them when they're so overwhelming. And especially because you still had to be able to function to be able to work and give your kids food and take care of them and take care of yourself. So it's like kind of like you couldn't just completely submerge yourself in the in the grief itself, you know, full on. Um, you had to kind of keep going. Now, what then shifted? At what point did things start happening when you joined them, the bereavement group three, three months in, what did you find in that, in that particular community for you?
0: Um, well, I found, I met uh, my husband now and another gentleman and another woman that were, we were all around the same ages and um, we, we stayed connected um uh, the group is over after eight weeks, which I felt after 19 and a half years of marriage that eight <laughs> weeks was just not enough support. I'm
1: like, they gave a yeah. time. Like, it was only like, like, yeah, eight, eight, weeks course. You're done. eight weeks
0: to get over. <laughs> so it was funny because I was the one that kept saying to oh these other God. two guys and this girl, let's get together, let's do lunch, let's do dinner. What could we do to meet up? Like, I needed some type of social activity because my Friday and Saturday nights were lonely and empty. And I was used to being out with my husband Um, during the week I was working, but the weekends were real. I mean, I worked on the weekends too, but they were really a struggle at night because the kids would go out with their friends. And I I found myself alone a lot. Mm -hmm. So um, then I put myself in another bereavement group and there's something that they do in these bereavement groups that I really struggle with. And that's that they sit around in a circle like from that movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're all sitting around a circle. You think, okay, I'm in this movie now, right? And I didn't want to be a widow. I didn't want to be in the circle, but I, I do need help. And they're all sharing the details of their loss. And being sensitive as I am, I just couldn't take their losses on top of my loss, it was just too much to take in. So with the second group, when I went and they did it again, I jumped up and I said, I'm, I'm out of here. I don't know who made this rule, but I'm out of here. And I stormed out of the room. I was hysterical crying. I cried all the way home. And I decided then if I ever got on my feet, I was going to go back and change it. And that was what I stuck with like the whole time during the years of grieving that I was going to go back and do this. I didn't know where, I didn't know how, I didn't know when, I just knew that I was going to do it. And so, um, you basically decided,
1: yeah, what you were, what you, sorry to interrupt you, what you, um, what you realized that that is that what, what the tools that were there were just not a fit for you per se, and what you needed for your own grieving process. You didn't want to be hearing other people's stories, uh, their hardship, but more also probably did, did you feel like you're like, you wanted to hear more, like, what are we going to do about it? Like, or what, right. tools do we well, use? what did you feel was what you needed and what is it that you created?
0: So what I f- felt was the first group when I went in, they shared their losses and i and i did it the first time and it was it was really hard to deal with so i kind of feel like if you get 12 people in a room you're listening to 12 losses and you're a grieving person that's a lot to take on it's one thing to listen to one loss Like I tell you, my husband died. You know, he had a blood clot. It was medical negligence. That's one loss. But if you're listening to 12 people, one after the other, one is suicide. one is It just gets overwhelming on top of a grief. Like I'm not trained to listen to all that. Mm -hmm. So when I went into the second group and they were doing the same thing again, it just was a trigger that I thought I had gotten to a certain point where I was doing a little bit better. And now this is bringing me right back to day one. So that's what made me feel like, why am I doing this again? Like, this isn't good. Like, there's no continuation from the eight weeks that I was in. It just went back to the beginning again. And what I really wanted was someone to teach me how to survive this, you know, tools. Give me tools. How do I do this? How do I don't know how to do this without my husband? I was very dependent on him. And the changes were coming left and right, and I couldn't handle them.
1: I think this is such good input that you're sharing. Um I myself am a facilitator in a, in a in a bereavement group and so for an organization. And so what what you're sharing is very insightful for me. Um because I had not thought of what you just said that you as a participant are not, tr- you weren't, you're not trained to have to listen to all these other hardships, you know, about your grief, but then listening to other people's journeys, it's like somebody that is like a facilitator, a counselor, a therapist, or any, they're trained to know how to listen to these things and to be able to deal with their emotions, but participants necessarily aren't, are not. So, um so taking all that for you was just a lot. So, Thank you for that insight. It's uh, helpful even for me. So I appreciate that. The uh, So now tell me, tell us then, what, at what point then did you start then creating your own group?
0: My own group. So um, five years after my loss, I remarry. I married one of the men that I met in the bereavement group, Scott. And he has three kids. I adopt his three kids so that we could be a blended family and Scott knew you know my intention to go back so now I'm working full time raising six kids, and I don't even know where I got the <laughs> the courage to do this, but I started seeking out how to um do a group help the widow. so I went back to the why because I felt well that's where I went you know i I guess my, my thought process was a little, little limited at the moment. You know, I, I'll go there. That's where I got help. And so I went there and they rejected me. They said, you're not a social worker and you're not a psychologist and you can't do this. But you could, um, they called me later to tell me I could do a chat group uh, for divorcees and singles and teach them how to paint. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which was interesting because that makes me, that just is how like people don't get a widow and they didn't get my, my intentions. You know, I wasn't looking to teach anyone. I wasn't looking for another job. I had a full-time job. I had these kids. I I had a lot on my plate. I was looking to help widows. So with that, I went home and I uh, started thinking about how, where can I go? And my church didn't have anything. So I went to the church and they took me and they sent me for training. So I trained for a year, and then I started um, with four elderly women, um, the group. And then from there, it just started to grow by word of mouth. And after a year, I got a call from the Y that they wanted me to come there and do a group for them, and they wanted to pay me. So that (laughs) was kind of ironic because they started (laughs) to hear how it was growing. And all of a sudden, it didn't matter that I wasn't a social worker or a psychologist.
1: Well, because you have the intuitive component too. Now, the training that you got, was it like to be a grief coach? Like what kind of training was it? Yeah,
0: they were workshops. Um, I guess they really wanted to see um, where I was in handling, speaking about grief. Um, It's it's not as intense. Like when I teach uh, facilitating, because I teach as well, I... um, I teach all like what to expect. I go through everything. They didn't do that with me. I like doing an actual program. Um, they just sent me for workshops. I had to do them for two years, but I started the groups after the first year. And I would just go to these like two hour workshops, um, like seasonal, you know, and I just completed it. And then she gave me the permission to start the groups and they gave me a room for free and coffee for free. and. <laughs> And I just bought the pastries and I made, I made it like I I created what I had in my head that should have been, I didn't have a three month limit. I kept the groups connected after the eight weeks. We have social gatherings, you know, I just did everything that I couldn't find for me. I created.
1: That's wonderful. So for example, if somebody, so when somebody would start, they'd have to start and finish at the same time. You didn't have people kind of joining in halfway through a particular group set so that it wouldn't change the flow. Is that correct? No, no,
0: that is not correct. We do take people. In the middle? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How would
1: it work then when somebody would then come in, in the middle of it, if you had already, like, do people, okay, I'm just trying to like wrap my head around your program. How is your program unique? How is it because it's still running? Um, right. Unique uh, in terms of like when people come in, then how did you make that different as to not having to reshare, relive every single. Oh second? right. So, so tell me we, how that goes. Like okay. It's, it's in in that I'm just I'm curious.
0: <laughs> okay. So first of all, we're doing the, the the groups virtually now, but we've always been an in person group. So um, the first thing I do is I do an icebreaker. It's like a You ever see like that three minute speed dating? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, Something like,
1: "What's the favorite place you want to go?" What what, if you had one one food to take to a desert deserted island? What would it be? Like those kind of things? Like just no, no, no.
0: No. The (laughs) icebreaker we do is I put um, ten chairs. If I have ten people, I put five chairs in front of the other five chairs parallel, and I give them three minutes to talk to each other but not talk about their grief. And I ring a bell and then one row moves down a seat and then we do it again. Oh, and, and this, and this okay. way everybody gets to meet each other before we sit around a table and talk.
1: What a fun activity. That's so fun. It and gets how loud. They but...
0: laugh. It really is yeah. a good way.
1: Love it. Now, how are you doing that virtually? Are you able to then create little mm. breakout rooms and then switch them up?
0: Uh, honestly, no, I didn't even find out about breakout rooms <laughs> till recently, but we, <laughs> what we do, we don't have the icebreaker, but we give each person a chance to introduce themselves and a little bit about themselves, but we don't talk about the grief right away. Um, then we start talking about how you lost your spouse, but not the details. Just like, what was it? Like for me, it would be medical negligence, someone else, it's like suicide, overdose, car accident murdered whatever it is but we don't get into how they were murdered Mm -hmm. or you know how they killed themselves we don't get into that we just only know that and i say to them listen i tell them the truth we don't want you to go into the details we feel it's too much for you but if you connect with someone else in the room you know feel free at the break to talk to them Mm -hmm. you know like so if i saw someone that had the same thing my husband had i might want to go talk to them you know right
1: because for some people, the sharing and the the sharing the details is one of the ways that they kind of uh, come to terms to the reality of what happened. So for some people, that may be helpful. And so you allow that to happen, but more like in the one-on-one kind of one-on-one. situation. One-on-one, right. And we
0: right. the and, and anyway, like- recommend therapists for everyone so they could get to tell their story. Um, I tell them all they could call me anytime and tell me their story. If they feel the need to tell their story, I'm here to listen to them. I just don't want to subject everyone to everyone's story. Mm-hmm.
1: I, yeah, I, I can see, I can see that. That is, you know, I actually find that even true with even just this podcast. A lot of times people that, um, that I know that may be grieving are not, for example, wanting to even listen to even just the podcast episode because it can be a lot even for themselves to hear somebody else's journey uh, you know, on the podcast. So depending on who I'm interviewing, sometimes people do share more details because that is what they you know feel like they want to do, in other cases, they don't. so i again, I am taking notes as you're speaking. Because <laughs> Also helpful for me to have that into account as a podcast host, and when I'm asking and so forth, so that the listeners themselves don't have to carry something else with them. Uh, rather, you know, feel lighter to some extent rather right. than heavier when they get off of listening. To some the some of them
0: will say that when they call, they'll say, uh, "Do I have to share my story?" Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "No, you don't have to share your story. Uh, we don't do that. You just." You could just say how they passed and that's it. And if you don't want to share that, you could just not share that. You could say, I'd rather not. I I don't want anyone to feel pressured or judged or, you know, Yeah. I just yes. want them to be comfortable in the space that we have for them and to know that we're there for them.
1: Yes. No, that's very, very good. Now take us then into what it's become then what has, uh, and tell us the name. And this is again in Long Island, but now that it's virtual, are you are you going to maintain a virtual um, component? Yes. Oh, okay. So yes, because we're every, helping people from. Canada.
0: Yeah, we have Everywhere. people from. Oh, uh, yeah, we have people from Canada now. We have people from Florida, from Texas, from all over. They're in and out of all my groups. So right now I have uh, eight groups. Um, two groups are uh, extra. Are uh, for. Kids, 14 to 17, and then we have a group uh, for young adults. It's just kind of like a chat group. I have two groups um, for those that don't have children. We have a lot of members that don't have children, and then they're in a bereavement group with people who have children issues. And they, some of them, couldn't have children or had a miscarriage, and they don't want to be in a group with those that are talking about their kids. So we made a separate group for them. And that group has been growing like exponentially since we started it last year. So I had to make two out of it because one was, um, it was too many people in one one session. So I had to make two groups out of it. So we separate our, our groups by ages. So like I have a group of 30 and 40 year olds, 50 year olds, 60 year olds, uh, 65 and over, and the groups for those with no children. Mm-hmm. And then um, after the eight weeks, typically when we're not in a pandemic, we have gatherings. We have three gatherings a year. We have a Halloween uh, party um, slash gathering. We have everybody brings a dish gathering. And we have a huge picnic, which we made a fun- I made it a fundraiser to help those that had financial hardship in my group. Mm. and we we had over a 1,000 people uh, two years ago when we did it, but last year we were forced not to do it because of the pandemic. But I'm hopeful that we'll get back to that at some point. <laughs> but right that's now... What,
1: that's what, So for people to sign up then, they go to your website. I just want to make sure I don't forget, uh, and I'll put okay, your website it's, on, on it's the widowed,
0: show. It's Widowed Not Alone. Um, widowed because- Not Alone. Because I felt in the beginning, you know, that I was really on my own. I was alone. And I felt that no widow should have to go through this alone. So we're widows and widowers. I have men, too, in the group. Um, I have a lot of men in the group, considering that men don't typically do um, bereavement groups. Um, but they feel comfortable because they're not the only man. And... um and just like myself, how I met my husband in my bereavement group, we have some couples that came out of my groups and a couple of babies. So I always <laughs> say that, no, I yeah, I say it's serendipity. That's not what the group is about, but I can't help with people click together, you know.
1: Right. No, it's just, it's one of the things is too, is just you find a commonality. So my dad, my dad is a widower and his wife is a widow. So um so they, and they did bond over that component too, right? Cause they had a common experience yeah. too. So um, would you want to share a little bit more of how that journey was, would it be uh, with you and Scott? Um, sure. And how, and how did you navigate them, the kids too, into that aspect? I mean, they were older, but how did you navigate the blending of the families too in your, in your journeys?
0: So Scott's kids, um were much younger than mine. His oldest uh, was 11, and my youngest was 11. And then he had a um, five-year-old, and, and Zachary's a year and a half older, so he was like six and a half. Mm-hmm. And we we got married. It was five and a half years for him, and five years for me. So the kids were a little bit older, but they knew me through the years of just being friends and then when we started dating um but once they came into the house it was a little difficult because Scott's kids had no mom for 5 years so they had 31 nannies uh the nannies were robbing from them um he would he, one cooked a chicken in his fireplace he was just having so many issues with the nannies so the kids didn't have you know they didn't have a lot of structure and I'm a very structured person So when we first got married, and the first year was so hard, like getting the kids to sit and have dinner at the table. So I was always traditional. We sit at the table, and you know I set the table, and we all sit together and we talk. I I always felt that was important in my house. And his daughter would get up and say, "I don't want to eat that. I want to have a bagel and cream cheese." And I'd be like, "No, this is what you're eating." And then she would have a temper tantrum on the floor. And Scott was pretty cool about you know, saying, okay, this isn't a restaurant, this is what mom made, and this is what you're going to have, and you don't want to have it, then you don't eat, until I think it was kind of like a, a struggle between her thinking she was the mother of the house after her mother died, and me coming in now and being the mom, and I didn't want to be bossy with them, but I also wanted them to have structure, and So it was a lot of struggle in the beginning. Like, I would say to my son, Zach, did you brush your teeth? And he would say, yes. And I go, okay, let's go check. And then I'd see that he didn't brush his teeth. Um, He was eating candy for breakfast. I'm like, what, you're eating candy? And he'd be like, yeah, my dad says it's okay. Like, they were lying to me. I'm like, I'm sure your dad didn't say it was okay to have jelly beans for breakfast. (laughs) So there was a lot of struggle trying to get them on board. but and it how was it for yours
1: with then Scott? How was it for your kids adjusting then to Scott being now in the home? Well, my,
0: my daughter was angry. She didn't want me to get married again. Um, it was a big adjustment for her to adjust to a sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because Jordana was so young, she was like clingy a little bit. And my daughter wasn't used to that. So she really had to adjust to that. And the boys were kind of like, okay, uh, they were... Just everybody was tolerating each other in the household. There was a lot of friction. And we just kept sticking to it, Scott and I. We would discuss the kids, you know, with a therapist. And we just kept working towards, this is our family. This is our family. And when my daughter would speak nasty to Scott, I would say, excuse me, you can't speak to my husband that way. If you have something to say, you have to say it with respect. And we just stuck to our guns. And um, they just grew up. Now my girls are sisters. I mean, like my daughter got married and her sister was her maid of honor. Like they love each other, and my boys are—they're all together. They are call cool each other brothers. <laughs> you know, it's—it's it's just they're,
1: yeah. They're, so the there's a little bit more of an age gap between the boys, but the yes. girls are pretty. They're the same. So is no. My boys-
0: daughter is 32 now, and my my other daughter is 25. Oh, so there's, okay, okay. There's so a big that, okay. age okay. difference there. Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: okay. So it was her, his oldest, eleven-year-old, was a boy. Right. So a boy. Got it. Got it. I thought that maybe the girl. So, um, so yeah. So it's all about just really also be, just being persistent and consistent, and then you know, kind of like you said, sticking, sticking, sticking with
0: it. it. <laughs> oh man, it was it was challenging at times. It really was.
1: It is. It isn't, I mean, it isn't easy necessarily, you know, to suddenly, I mean, even me as an adult, and my dad hears this podcast, so my dad, he'll be hearing as I'm sharing this. But um, when my dad was going to remarry, it was an adjustment for us too. And we were adults, you know, my mom passed away four years ago. So when he got married a year, a little bit over a year ago, it was not about the fact of somebody else being in our, you know in our life. It was just the fact that it was another level of our own grief that we had to be dealing with. It was about you know our grief, not about his wife. It was about us and our grief. So, um, right, so it's definitely an adjustment, even as an adult of a child. You know, as, I think as child
0: that's the, of- <laughs> I think that's like the hidden, like you know, like there's the hidden second losses that we go through. I think that's yeah. another hidden hidden thing, like even amongst widows, like, cause I do the groups and it's like hidden. Like they think, Oh, she met someone, she got married. She's good now. Well, no, I still had to support my kids. God was going to support my three kids, you know? So I'm still working and I'm putting my daughter and my son through college and I'm still paying their medical bills and all their things. And I'm working on this family to try to make it a one family and it's not as easy as you think it is. And it's like, it's, I think that's like the misconception, like just because you meet someone. And even when I was dating him, it was like everyone that was helping him with his kids stopped helping him. Like they thought I was helping him. I couldn't help him. I had my own kids and my own work. I was still supporting my household. So I think there's, you know, people just think, oh, cause you met someone or you got married again. Now you're good. Mm -hmm. And you're not. And I was still grieving. I still was grieving Larry, even though I married Scott. Scott just understood, like if it was my anniversary or the day that he passed, that that was a bad day for me. And he knew it and I knew it for him. But I was still grieving. I didn't wait till I felt like I was better or I would have never did anything.
1: You know, I I hear that so many times talking with widows and widowers that have remarried. I actually did an interview with a uh, with a couple. So basically, like you and Scott, like that. But like I I interviewed them both at the same time. I would interview, you know, Liz, you know, and then and then the her boyfriend and then the two of them together, the how they met. But they also are widow and widower, um, and the same thing they talk about their spouses theirs is more recent they're uh, a young they have young kids um and they still honor all these special you know occasions and stuff too so how did you both then also honor then uh, what was Scott's uh, first wife's name Sally Sally how do you mm-hmm. honor Sally and Larry in your family and how did you honor them through the years as the kids were growing up in in this new dynamic, like you said, like, for example, anniversaries right. for you or birthdays and so forth. Yeah, Are there so- pictures still of, you know what I mean? Pictures of the families uh, of them in the home, those kind of things.
0: Well, the kids would keep their pictures in their rooms, but we didn't keep pictures in the house itself. Uh, we both sold our houses because we felt that if either one of our families moved into the other house, then the kids would be territorial and it uh-huh. wouldn't be on equal ground. So we both sold our houses and we bought a house together so that they, we all moved in at the same time. And um, Scott's Jewish and I'm, I'm Catholic. Um, And I loved what he was doing. He was lighting these little Yisite candles that burn uh, for 24 hours in memory of Sally And so then I was like, I want one of those for Larry. (laughs) So the kids would know when the candles were burning, it was either for Sally or Larry. And they would say, who's the candle for? And and they would know like it's Larry's birthday or Sally's birthday. And it was the day Larry died. And they would know because of the candle. But for myself, I would go to the cemetery. I would have a mass said for Larry. You know, I would just do my own thing. And Scott would do his.
1: That is that is wonderful. That you also honored also the different ways in which you were each honoring because of your religious backgrounds too. Yet you also incorporated some of the ways in which he would, you know, the ceremonial or traditional ways that he was doing it into your own way. So I, I love that. I love that. It was that. such yeah, it's a beautiful it such-
0: tradition and I really like it. And I share it with the groups that we do right. that.
1: Oh, that's so good. Now, how does your grief look like now, these many years later? What does it look like now?
0: Um, I, I still honor Larry on the days that, um, like, I just experienced 21 years that he's gone. And it's just amazing, like, how you could be so many years later and feel like it was yesterday at the same time. And I hear people say that at four years and five years and eight years, but you don't think when you're 21 years, you're still going to feel that way. But I still do. Um, I still love him just as much as I did when he passed. Um, And on the days like the anniversary of his death or his birthday, I allow myself to grieve those days for him. And I, you know, I pray and I go visit the cemetery or whatever, but I give me, I give myself that time you know, like my Larry time, you know, and then I go about my life.
1: I love that, that you just still give yourself that space. And, and you, you said something important. It's that, yeah, it, it's There's no time. I, I wrote the other day a little, um, I don't know, things that just kind of come into my head. Sometimes <laughs> I wrote it on my Instagram, like there's no timeline for loving. So why should we expect a timeline for grieving?
0: Absolutely. You know,
1: you know, there's like, we, we, um, we don't like say, oh, oh, you love that person. Oh. And now they're not like, or, well, stop loving them now. it's like, what do you mean? Like, it's not like an on and off switch. That doesn't just, it's not, doesn't it's happen so
0: true. Kendra, that that is so true because you don't say to someone, how much do you love them? But right. people, but people will say to me, how long has he gone? Like as if I should be over it. Right. You know, it's 21 years. That sounds like a long time, but it's still traumatic to me, you know?
1: It is. And and the thing is that there's this expectation then that grief is a timeline, like as if it's supposed to then end. And, you know, like sometimes in society that especially, okay, let me just give an example. For example, even at work, let's say you have a nine to five job, a job that you have to go in somebody dies in your family, how many weeks do they give people off to be able to, you know, grieve? Probably just a week or something like that. Not even. Not even? Okay.
0: Not Not in New York, they don't. Oh my
1: gosh. Just to deal with like, maybe just the funeral arrangements. Unknowingly, like there's going to be all these different waves that are going to come in and out and so forth. So um, yeah, it is, it is not, it's, yeah, there's no, There's no time. There's no time. There is no
0: time. And I think that um, as far as the workplace, there's a lot of people that have come to me and said like um, in the medical field that they had to go back to work within three days of losing their spouse. I can't imagine. And they're young. Like I'd get someone 36 years old who lost her husband and they wanted her to go back to work. And she was worried about losing her job on top of losing her husband. It's, it's so stressful. Some of the things are just so stressful that, you know, you hear over the years.
1: And, you know, for some people, and you probably encountered some people too, in which their job does become their way of, of, um, kind of managing their grief. Like I've known of people that like, they actually want to still continue their routine because already something has so much, so, so much has happened and changed that they don't necessarily want to add another big change and like stop going to work cuz work becomes their sanity like that work becomes like their space in which they at least feel like their something is like the same to some extent Correct. so for some people that is that is what they need but others don't like others do need space and that's something that in society we don't necessarily allow for it to look different how people grieve that it will look different <laughs> It was not going to
0: be that's correct. Same. Like, I think that people uh, kept saying to me personally, uh, When are you coming back? They were looking for the old me, and that that person oh. died with Larry. I always say that Scott didn't marry the same person Larry did because I was oh. broken, you know, I wasn't the same woman, I, I changed. You know, here I became um, a business owner. I'm running a household. That wasn't the same person Larry married. I wasn't codependent on my husband now like I was on my first husband. I'm independent in my marriage. So I'm a totally different person. I always say like if Larry ever came back to the earth (laughs) and saw me in action, he would be like, who is that? (laughs) Who who is that person?
1: I'm sure in my perspective, he's watching you and he's just cheering you on. He's so proud of you. In my perspective, he's just watching on the bleachers and being like, Yeah, you go, Catherine. Look at yeah. you, girl. I knew yeah. you had it in you.
0: <laughs> this is a woman that didn't know how to pay a bill or, or do an email. And I ended up running a business and running these groups and like running a household, sold a house, bought a house. I mean, it did so many things within my my griefhood that i myself don't even know how i did it
1: <laughs> amazing right we surprise ourselves of what we're capable of and we don't give ourselves um, credit sometimes for seeing how much growth has happened and just you hearing your story of how much you've done in the last 21 years since your you experienced you know that traumatic day and his sudden death and you changing completely like to who you are now. Um that's amazing. That's amazing. I I honor you for that because Thank you. you know it's it's I uh, yes you like some people say I had no choice. I had to. I had three kids. I had to. <laughs> I had to put I had to put one step forward and keep going and figuring it out as you know as I went. Um and that's the thing you just figured it out as you went. It's not like you had this plan you know you didn't have right. any any guidebook to know what it nope. is no
0: you... <laughs> i couldn't even read honestly um the my reading was challenged by the the trauma of finding my husband so i couldn't even read about grief so all of it i i kind of did on the blind but what i give to our groups is i give them the things that i wish somebody would have told me Like even the fact that I felt like my daughter lost her father. She also lost her mother for a while. Um, You know, things like that. Like the things that I wish somebody would have said to me, you know, your children, their childhood is compromised by loss. You know, try to be there for them as much as you can. Take vacations with them. I wish I would have had someone telling me that. Like I didn't. I was just always worried about work, supporting my house, supporting my kids. And I didn't have enough time like to have fun with them and enjoy that. Their- My daughter was still only 11. She still had a childhood left, you know?
1: You you said something that I, I heard another, another friend that I interviewed to also a widow. She, she said the same, like for her was basically, she did not, her son was only, I think three when his dad passed. And so She was like, I could not allow my son to not only grow up now without a father, but without a mother, because I could not lose myself in that. So that's what kept her going, was knowing that she couldn't lose who she was. Um, That was what she focused on, because if not, her son would lose two people, you know, and not just one. Um, That's what kept her moving forward.
0: It's I see a lot of young people um, come to that conclusion on their own. And I don't know if they were just more aware than I was. um, But that didn't come to me. I was in so much pain. I I couldn't see past the pain. And
1: um, honestly, Catherine, it's like and you probably see this also with your widows and widowers. Everybody's journey is so different and depending on also on what they've lived. And you even mentioned at the beginning of this conversation you had a major component of trauma too when you were growing up too. So you know of your dad leaving. So therefore there's other things that you had in your own journey. So your journey right. cannot be compared to Scott's journey, cannot be compared they're all daughter. different right everybody's so different your, your past definitely
0: contributes to your grief sometimes i see people with multiple losses it's a little uh, you know the complicated grief it all contributes to how we get through this um that's why i always feel like i just it's you can you can get through it alone but it helps so much when you get through it with a group and you have the support of others that say you know what i've been there already i I've gone through it, and this is what helped me. I, I try not to give people advice. I I try to just make suggestions and say, you know, this worked for so many people. Like over the years of staying connected to the groups, I've learned a lot. Um, I have therapists that come in on a regular basis to, um, you know, speak to the groups on different topics. I learned a lot from them, and I just, you know, we share all those things because we want people to, you know. Have the support that they need.
1: It's resources. It's research, and like you said, like there's going to be something. Some of those tools that you offer are going to be beneficial to some. Like for example, if I say to somebody, journal. Like I used to write when my sister died. I would write letters um, as if I was writing to her. I was 21. Okay, nobody told me that. That's what you do. Intuitively, that's what I did. Nobody said write right. letters. No, I would just write letters as if I was like a journal entry and be like oh, Zerana, today I did that that da, da And by the way, I really miss, you know, like, so either I would write of just of what was going on with my day to her, or I would write about my emotions about how I missed her. But that was, again, intuitive. But for somebody else, if I were to say, like, you know, write a journal or like, "Eh, I don't like writing, you know, that's just not the way I'm like, oh, dance it out then, you know, who knows? Like somebody, everybody's different. So like what you do with your grievers is, you know, you offer different options, give the different tools that are out there and take what serves you. That's really what it is. Take what serves you. And then if it doesn't, you know it's okay. <laughs> it's right. okay, but
0: there's right. here are
1: options, and this helped me. It may or may not help you. If it does, wonderful. If not, then try maybe this thing that's helped you know X, Y, and Z person too. Right, um, right. But I some
0: some tools that, yeah. are like exercise or the journaling. Um, some of them are like really helpful, yes. and you know you can't tell someone what to what to do. But I, we do share like like writing a letter to your spouse mm-hmm. and just doing that is so cathartic, you know, because it's a form of journaling. And I'm like, write to them, tell them all the people that weren't there for you.
1: <laughs> just you bend. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. Get it out. Enough. Because you know, really, it's so cathartic if you you write all this stuff. And this person wasn't there for me, and this person was I didn't expect, and this is what happened. And you could just keep on writing and crying and laughing, and you just could get it all out.
1: Yes, without judgment. Yeah, without of-
0: doing a daily journal, but just writing a letter, you know.
1: Yes. No, that's so that's so true. Um, yeah. No, there's just all these different ways and experiences and like you said you've you you can't say you're an ex you can you can't I, okay let me just put it this way you have seen a lot of way more widows and widowers and you've also you know done this for a long period of time and even yet and i say this myself we're not experts on that we're only right we're still not experts because right. only only the person experiencing is the expert on their own grief but we have enough vision of having seen people to give again, those resources of what has worked. It's kind of like, this is the evidence I have. This is the, this is the things that I've seen along the years that have helped people, you know, and, and here it is. And this is wonderful. I just think it's wonderful that you're offering this. And now that, um, that this virtual world has opened up the doors for you to have, you know, an online program as well. How wonderful. Cause now the listeners hearing this, if you're feeling that you are wanting this kind of community and you're a widow or a widower or a child or a teen too, right? Teen, because you, but so for the teens are kids without one, yes. a, a, kid, a teen that not lost not a,
0: a, parent, a parent or uh-huh. yes, we have a, a, uh, a woman that's in our group. She's she lost a husband in her 30s, and uh, she happens to be a school psychologist. She also lost her dad when she was in her 20s, so she stepped forward and asked to uh, facilitate a group. And she does the teens, so she's a school psychologist, so she's excellent with the kids. Um, and, she underst- and they like her because she understands what their mom was going through. And she also understands what they're going through losing her own dad. Yeah. And then um, I have another facilitator that um, lost her dad when she was in her 20s. And she does the 20 to 30-year-olds. And it's just like a that group is like a chat group twice a month they meet. It's not like a structured bereavement group. And then I've been doing one-on-one coaching. I do it for a donation. All our groups are free. Um, we're not a non-for-profit. We are no-profit. Like, I have never, like, organized myself as a non-for-profit uh, because I did it through the church, and they hold the funds from the fundraisers and all that. Okay. So, so uh, people
1: can just sign up for the program? Because I actually, yeah. as you're speaking, the names are coming up in my head of... People that I could because a lot of times like the group I'm, I'm a member of is only here in my in my in the Dallas area. So I can't you know, if somebody's out of the out of the state, I'm like the organization that I uh, facilitate, you know, that I volunteer in is only in this area. So I'm always looking for resources Mm-hmm. to be able to pass on to people. Usually I send them to childrengrieve.org if they have children, like to kind of just see what things are in their areas. So um so I love that now I have one other resource to send them. Thank you. Um, and Thank I'm you. I'm definitely gonna add it to my resources list too on my on my uh, website too. So that people can go there and, and and be able to do this, especially now that it's that they can go from wherever they are. So I love right. this. Thank you so much. Anything else you wanted to share with the listeners that I might have not been uh, you know asked you that I've forgotten to um, ask?
0: Yes, I, I want to share that not only do we do the eight-week bereavement, but then we have a group called Chat and Connect. And that group is for those that finished bereavement and are a little bit longer. Um, they Because we keep the groups together after the eight weeks. We make a captain and a co-captain in each group. And we pick a person within the group that wants to keep the group going, and so then we leave them off on their own, and they keep meeting. and then those all those groups, you know, let's say I have eight groups right now that's at least eighty people, then we all meet together with the people that I had previously. So we're always gathering and we're always bringing each other together. But sometimes over the years, because I'm doing this for 15 years, the groups start breaking up. People move out of state. Somebody gets married. And then there's only like maybe two people left in the group. So we made this other group called Chat and Connect so that they could go into another group and meet new people, you know, from all the groups that are all the stragglers. They still have round table talk and they could still meet.
1: (laughs) I love that. The stragglers, the ones that have graduated or.
0: <laughs> well, it's just like there's still people left that they still want to connect. That, you yes. know, and why should they be left alone? Again, it's not being left alone. And then I have a member that created a group within the group that they the, the widows that are longer um, made like a meal train. And they help the widows that just come in that if they're sick or they need extra help. They help each other. They give them care packages. And she named that Wednesday's children because we do the groups on a Wednesday evening. And so that came out of this group as well. So there's so much growth within the grieving community.
1: That is, You know, and I, lo- I love that you said that you still have this other group, the Chat and Connect, because like we were just talking before, you never know when, again, you may need Yes, to be able to talk to somebody because even just like as I mentioned, even when my dad got married and a different level of of my own grief kind of coming up to the surface, there may be other occasions down the line like if you if your children you know get married and you don't even have the 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 other parent there to be present on such a special occasion, it could bring up a a whole other um part of their grief too absolutely or, you know, whatever when they graduate from college and here you are alone, seeing your child, you know, whatever it is that may. Absolutely. I, emotions.
0: I always say three years after my loss, um, we had a snowstorm and I had to shovel and no one thought to say, Oh, there's a widow. She's a widow. Cause it's three years later, but I'm still a widow, you know, and I still have these responsibilities. It was so much work to have to shovel myself out to get to work on top of all the other responsibilities. So there's, you need somebody to validate. Yeah. That was a lot for you to do, you know, like you're still having meltdowns. And even when I had my grandchildren that my husband wasn't there, Mm -hmm. they're his grandchildren, you know? Um, And my last one that we just had last May is a redhead like my husband was. So Uh. it's just (laughs) like little things like that. It's nice to have people that understand what you're going through during your your grief that it's always with you, like it doesn't go away just because the years passed. So, right.
1: and in your case, like you and Scott are, you know, at least you have each other to kind of comprehend that within your same household. But there are people that don't, that may not remarry, and to have those right. groups that they can reach out, or maybe they do marry, but somebody that has not gone through a grieving experience themselves, so they may not relate to what you're experiencing. So um, so having these opportunities of talking to others that can relate to what you're going through is really important. Thank you so much once again, Catherine. And um, again, it's Widowed Not Alone. Widowed Not Alone is the name of your website. And again, I'll put that in the in the little, whatever, I I never remember what to call that, the stuff, the information about the podcast. Just scroll on the info of the podcast when you're listening to this, listeners, because I forget what that's called. And I will also add it to the resources on my website as well, the website. So thanks once again.
0: Thank you, Kendra.
1: Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today.